There's a handful of things in life that I know that I'm good at. Running a successful podcast, for one, a website, photography, menu consulting, etc. But one of the things where I need help is my gardening, specifically culinary gardening. It's one thing to have a nice succulent or a pretty plant to look at, but there's nothing like growing your own food, herbs, and more. That's why I turn to my friend and friend of the Best Seeds podcast, Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage, for all things culinary gardening. She's an expert through and through who's worked with some of the best chefs and restaurants here in Orange County. Just see the work that she did up at the amazing Poppy and Seed in Anaheim, or some of the work she's doing with chefs like Zach Scher over at the Bellow Chef's Table. She's talented, witty, incredibly smart, and a consummate professional through and through. Whether you're running a restaurant program, a craft cocktail program, or you just want to start growing some great food at home, she has everything you need and more. So to get more information, set up a consultation, or just to see some of the things that she's done in the past, check out heirloompotage.com for more information. I cannot recommend her services enough. Regardless of the fact that she's a supporter of the show, I still use her services even outside of the best seats. A consummate professional through and through, I cannot recommend Heirloom Potage enough for all things culinary gardening. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode 127 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you, as always, to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. As a reminder, if you enjoy the show and you're listening on free feed, Spotify, wherever else that may be, please consider leaving a rating and or a review. It helps new audiences discover the show. You can go to TheBestSeats.com for more content just like this, including merchandise, the blog, which just came back, as well as updates about what's going on over on Patreon, because as I mentioned last episode, there's been a lot of great updates for creators over there, so there's a lot of information to unpack and I'm trying to help everybody navigate the new waters while doing so. But as always, the very best experience is over on that Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash the best seats, where you get early ad free listening to each and every episode, exclusive access to the bonus episode, and at the moment, exclusive access to the brand new show, I Know What You Did last Sunday, where we are reading, reacting to, and rating your Sunday fun day, Sunday scary horror stories, fun day stories, service stories, whatever they may be. And you can submit those stories over on Patreon, uh, over on thebestseats.com. Um, and yeah, there should be a post up there. Um, and I think at the moment, the it's only the teaser trailer kind of episode that's up, at least at the time of this recording. The new episode may be up, depending on when you hear this. But yeah, go check it out. It's going to be a very fun one. On to episode 127. Um, when this show first started out, 
it wasn't just about getting big name people, although I'm always very happy and humbled to get those people on. It was about talking to everybody in the industry. That could be everybody from just a chef to a bar back or something like that. I wanted to start to get back to some of those episodes, but I wanted to do it where there are very, very cool ways and cool stories going on because there's so many people that are working that it would be easy to talk to every you know bartender, server, things like that. But I wanted to try and find really fun story angles when I'm talking to some of these incredibly talented people. That's why I was so fired up to get my guest on this show, Jared Murphy. Jared Murphy is an East Coast transplant. He got out here just about, I want to say like the middle of COVID, but you'll hear his story in the main episode. Um, from Boston, an incredibly talented bartender. He's not a bar manager. Um, he at the moment doesn't want to be, and I'll tell you why in about 30 seconds, but he's wildly talented. One of the most personable people I've ever met. You know, ladies, if you're single, you're going to love him. One of the most handsome dudes I've ever met, but just an all around awesome person. He knows his way around a cocktail. He's slinging them down at Hotel Laguna in a wildly, wildly talented bar program that they really have this sense of autonomy down there and they're letting them produce really killer drinks. But the other thing is he's got a side hustle. Now, most of us have side hustles. I don't know about you guys. I do voiceover work and I do photography. Well, his is a little cooler because he has recently launched his own gin company. Slow Days has been a passion project of his for a while. It's something that he's been mulling around with since his time on the East Coast. And now it's really kind of coming to fruition. He has Slow Days Gin Co. in bottle. He actually has it on a couple of bars. It's in a couple of cocktails on menu already. I tasted on it. I knew that he was launching this project, which is one of the reasons I want to have him on. I want to have him on anyway, just because he's awesome and he's a friend and I want to support my friends as well as just people that are damn talented. But I tasted his gin and I really dug it. Gin is a category that I think for spirits gets misconstrued by a lot of people. I think a lot of people go back to that bottle of beef eater that's been sitting in their grandparents' house since, you know, the war. And it's just smacking you in the face with juniper. It's dry. It's delicious if that's your vibe. There's times where a beef eater martini is fantastic. But that old school style of gin can be tough and acerbic for some people. Slow Days is different. It's lovely. It's floral. It's got a pop of ginger to it. It's got this kind of citrusy note. It's really, really fun. So I wanted to get him on not only to celebrate him as a bartender and give credit where it's due to everybody that's busting their ass out there, but also... What's it like doing that while you're launching your own spirits brand? How did you launch your own spirits brand? And what is the intention for it? And what's it like to not do it with all these kind of big, you know, angel investors and things like that, but just to be out there hitting the pavement by yourself, getting this bottle on back shelves. So we're going to dig into this. This is a really fun episode. Um, he was kind enough to host me at his place when he was in the middle of moving, super chaotic, switching over menus at the hotel. So if you know anything about any of those things, moving or launching new cocktail menus, you know it's a busy time. So shout out to Jared for taking the time to do this one. I hope that you enjoy it. This is a really fun one and a special one for me. So I will stop talking. I will shut up and let you hear from the man himself on episode 127 of the Best Seats podcast, my friend, Jared Murphy. Enjoy. Jared, thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, I'm, I've been a fan of yours since I had one of your first cocktails at Hotel Laguna, but now I'm an even bigger fan because of your gin, which we're going to unpack and talk about and dive into all of that. But before we dive into all that, would you mind introducing yourself and giving a little bit of your background? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so obviously we met at Hotel Laguna, but this story started a long way away uh, in Boston, which is originally, uh, originally where I was born, uh, you know, just outside of the city. Uh, in a town called Milton, for anyone that's familiar with the geography. Um, basically, I, you know, after high school was supposed to 
go to college, decided to take a gap year, ended up working the door at a bar and kind of the rest is history. So there's a lot of people out there that started as a gap year and they're still on that gap year. Yeah. I think the joke in my friend group is that it's like six or seven for me. So, (laughs) you know, kind of got caught uh, in a good way in the industry and just from there started as a doorman, you know, worked up to barback, did a mediocre at best job of that, but I was social enough where they moved me up. I got lucky. And then, you know, after four or five years in the hospitality industry out there, made my way out here, moved, fell in love with Southern Orange County and ended up at Hotel Laguna, which has been, you know, a really incredible bar program. I've had such a great time, but uh, also, you know, this, this whole time I've had my eye towards uh, starting this gin project, you know, that we, that we've already brought up uh, that's super important to me. And it's kind of been the culmination of the the last couple of years uh, that I've spent in California. What was the, before we kind of dive into obviously being at the hotel and, you know, the brand and kind of everything else and balancing the two, what was the catalyst that brought you from Boston to, I mean, specifically Orange County? Because again, like I've done the East Coast to Orange County move myself, but admittedly I had family out here. I already had an establishment out here. I was familiar with the area. I go, I mean, again, there's people that, you know, you deal with a Massachusetts winter and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, anything else looks good. But what was it that brought you out here? Actually, like, what was the reason? Well, so for starters, my story is very different. I basically knew nothing. I moved with my girlfriend at the time, uh, but we knew we wanted to be somewhere in Southern California. Yeah. Uh, what catalyzed me to leave Boston was I'd just grown up there uh, my whole life, spent a lot of time there, and I just didn't really know anything else. Uh, and, you know, I've always loved the water, always loved being outside. Um, I, my sister did live in LA for a period of time. Okay. Uh, I do have a couple friends, uh, you know, out here, San Diego, that area. I do have a little family in San Diego too. So it kind of put the idea Got it. Okay. somewhere in SoCal somewhere in be, this region. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, so the plan was we actually drove out no, no job, no apartment. And we just knew we'd start, uh, in Orange County, just kind of make our way down, visit a few spots and just kind of end up where where felt right. And, um, we made it to Laguna beach and fell in love basically with this area of orange County. Uh, we, we did what we said we we're going to do. You know, we went to spend some time in San Clemente, which is awesome. I still spend a lot of time there and so time in a few spots in San Diego, but it was never really an option. You know, my mind was just made up kind of the first time I got, I got to this area. So it, it just worked out really well. Um, you know, just ended up at Hotel Laguna, which has just been really nice to get to know everyone and branch out, meet lots of cool people along the way and, you know, just try to try to build some form of a life out here. It's been a really nice process. I mean, anybody knows the industry out here, obviously Hotel Laguna is a massive project. There's been a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff going on, which I don't want to unpack here, but I want to focus on the bar program because yes. I will say something and people are welcome to take umbrage with it. I don't think a lot of hotels, especially here in Orange County, where you're supposed to have these great venues and great places to go. I don't think a lot of them have great bar programs. I think that's starting to change. I think you're starting to see some people do it, but for the longest time, I, you know, I would come out here and no, you just could like, I would not find a good cocktail. You guys not only have a good bar program, you guys have a very kind of forward one, especially in Laguna where for a long while it's kind of been Broadway's backyard and they've really been kind of pushing the show there with a handful of other people obviously contributing along the way. Um, some that are, you know, still open, some that have closed, but 
what is your kind of approach for you guys at the hotel? Because it is not just you. I want to give credit where it's due. You guys have a great team going there. But what is the approach to your cocktail creation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. And, and what it really comes down to uh, is Neil, uh, Neil Machko and Daniel McCutcheon, who run the bar program there, mm-hmm. uh, the bar manager and bar lead, uh, have really maintained a huge degree of autonomy for the bar. Um, and especially when you're dealing with a, a property like that, with that sort of view, you know you're going to get exposure, mm-hmm. right? And I think, you know, some people kind of take that as an, okay, all right, we're good. You know, we're going to have business. We're going to have people here. We can do a relatively boilerplate program. People are still going to show up. Yeah. What's been nice is they've carved out the independence to actually combine that with a program that's very unique. And we still take that into account. We still try to have cocktails on there that are just you know, elevated takes on things that people generally find approachable and drinkable. I think that's actually a really core piece of our program and, you know, any functional program. I Absolutely. Think that's, yeah, I think that's actually really important. You can't have only weird stuff that's going to alienate people. And I think we have a pretty good balance. Um, and what we're able to do is just be really creative and flexible. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at is, you know, on every menu, you're going to have a few weird ones. They're going to be out of the box. They're going to have different presentations, some of them work really well, others don't, but it's just the fact that you can, you know, go there often. You know, we flip the menu uh, four times a year, two big full, full rewrites and then two smaller adjustments for seasons and ingredients going, you know, out of season, things like that. Uh, but you can always come there and experience something new or you can also just, you know, go there and crush a great margarita yeah. with actual tequila, which is actually what we bonded over. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think the met. first time I met you, I walked in and I said to Tommy Speck Margarita, which for anybody who doesn't listening, look, look up Julio Bermejo to one half of the specs. It's the go-to. It's not a skinny margarita. It's a Tommy's Margarita. And I will die on that hill. Um, but I said Tommy's Margarita to you and you knew exactly what I meant. And you said, what tequila? We have Fortaleza or a couple other options. And I was like, this guy gets it. He understands. Because again, it is an insane view. You guys do have a great view, the great mm-hmm. outdoor seating. I mean, it's probably, you know, you guys in the deck arguably kind of crushed that part, not just of Laguna, but I would say for some of the best views in Orange County. Yeah. Um, so regardless, you're going to get that volume. But to be able to walk in and say that instantly, I kind of felt the connection with you. And I was like, I love it. And I've always loved your drinks since. How do you, because again, we're going to unpack the gin here in a minute, because mm-hmm. that's a whole big project that I want to get into. But what was it about Hotel Laguna that kept you around because again, you, you were, you came here, you didn't know a lot of places. It would have been easy to do the traditional kind of six month stint free agency and bounce around a little mm-hmm. bit and try to find something. What's kept you there this whole time? Well, besides having, Outside of the, the fact that I, I should say I'm very grateful for that. Cause every time I go, <laughs> I know I can get a great drink. Um, well, having one of the best offices on the planet is definitely a nice perk. That's fair. Uh, that, yeah. That view's awesome. But in reality, it comes down to, it has this really cool combination of a very casual, uh, approachable demeanor. You know, you can come off the beach, or you can come dressed to the nines. You know, we can have authentic interactions over the bar, which to me has always been very important in the different programs I work for. I know everyone has their own personal preference for you know, what type of service they like to engage in. That's mine. It's the idea that you can come, it's very casual, it's approachable, but also at the same time, we're gonna be able to make you a really good cocktail. We're going to be able to be creative. We're going to be able to present new options on a menu and, you know, combine that with just being engaged in the process, uh, you know, with the other bartenders in terms of creating and fostering a cool menu. 
that's what that's what keeps me engaged. You get, I get to do the two parts of this business on at least on the on premise side that really that I love. And that's being social with people, getting to know people. We obviously have a lot of locals and a lot of regulars that yep. go there. Uh, and then also being able to be really creative, get exposed to, you know, all these uh, new, awesome tequilas, mezcals, ingredients, whatever it may be, and be able to you know, go through the creative process with them. And also you know, just be able to screw up and dump something out and be like, no, that that just absolutely did not work. <laughs> and, you know, I can, that's never an issue. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty funny. Like the example I always think of is, you know, this summer menu, we had a, a really interesting agave-based old-fashioned uh, that Daniel and I put together that was, you know, a couple different types of tequila. It used a reposado, an overproof blanco, a small amount of mezcal, and it used this Amatepec chili pepper liqueur, which yeah. is phenomenal, uh, along with just, you know, mole bitters and uh, a little bit of agave, you know, just to balance everything out. Great cocktail. Um What's interesting about it is I was like, you know what? I want to garnish it with a piece of blood orange dark chocolate from uh, one of the Laguna locals. Tim used to work at Laguna Coffee. Him and his wife they have this tiny yeah, little, yeah. yeah chocolate company yep. uh, called Cove. Phenomenal, Amazing stuff. by the way. Yeah. yeah, right away. Absolutely, let's do it. Like, you know, stuff like that. Just you can be weird. You can be out of the box. You can go to other, you know, local vendors, um, which I always thought was was really cool. Even the, the Alma Tepec that I, you know, I got exposed to that because I was, you know, sitting at ABBA one day and the rep from Southern was in just tasting them on it and he ended up just you know, giving me a taste and I sent Neil a text nice. next, next day. <laughs> next day it was in there for me to, for me to experiment with and it ended up going on the menu. Just having that, that amount of flexibility and creativity is, is pretty special. Um, and you know, that, that's what's kept me engaged. Yeah. That's wildly refreshing because there's so many people that everything is so structured and they want to break out and they want to try new stuff. And it's just so rigid. Um, the last thing I want to ask you kind of about Hotel Laguna before we kind of pivot here as much as I hate that word, shout out to 2020, making us all use that word too much. Um, you guys are still in the interesting aspect that you are a hotel bar, but the hotel is still under construction. The yes. rooms are still not done. So you're technically just the biggest bar as far as sheer square footage of the building I've ever seen. What's it like to be in that hotel bar atmosphere, but you don't have those guaranteed guests that are just, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet above you in the rooms because the rooms are still being built out. I mean, you guys basically are relying on locals and the tourists, which obviously during the summertime is not really an issue, but does that present any challenges to you guys? Kind of like, you're more kind of like building regulars than hotel guests. Yes, I, I think it definitely does when you really, when you really dig into it. Um, you know, I think it's one of the reasons we probably have been granted a little more autonomy and flexibility. Cause instead of building a relatively corporate designed pitch for the yeah. people staying in your hotel, you are, you really have to create a bar environment that's attractive to the people who live in the communities around you. And you, you can't rely on that yeah. constant influx. Which being, I think is actually a very fortunate thing. Yes. I do think it's very beneficial because once those rooms do get open and you guys maintain the way you're going, I mean, that's just going to be a whole different animal. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and if I'm being honest too, though, I have never gotten, maybe partially because of what you just outlined, that it doesn't, it hasn't been laid out like a hotel bar. It yeah. never really feels like I'm going into work at a hotel bar. That's completely it, fair too. Yeah. yeah. So it really does just feel like any other, you know, bar position, especially for my shifts that tend to be weekend night shifts. It's more, you know. How busy is it going to be for the DJ? You know, how many covers do we have coming in for dinner? All the standard stuff. 
It's not about uh, vacancy rates upstairs. Yeah. Completely Although true. that that's going to, you know, start to be relevant when those rooms are finished. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I did have one more question because, well, not a question so much as a statement. You mentioned that you do work night shifts, but obviously you guys are open, what, like 11 a.m. until later in the night for sure. Um, Laguna, and, and this is one of my favorite things, not just about Laguna, but Orange County and Southern California very much in general, is it is an astoundingly wonderful place to day drink. What shifts are busier when it's 75 and beautiful or like a busy nighttime? You know, it is definitely, with the exception of Sundays, mm-hmm. it's always still going to be the nighttime crowd. Nice. Okay. Uh, you know, when when it's that, Laguna is such a beautiful place. There's so many small little coves, beaches, whatever it is, you know, people are outside. Yeah. And you mentioned the deck earlier. That's what I think of too when I'm, that's that's my spot. If I'm off and I'm, you know, I go surfing or something and I want to drink, yeah. I'm just, you know, right up from the sand. 100%. Under the deck. Like those yeah. spots uh, definitely stay cranking. Hotels, a little more of a, of a you know, sunset. I really think of sunset. For hotel because yeah the, yeah for sure that's that's prime time yeah. uh, and whether that you know bleeds late night into the DJ on you know Friday Saturday or it starts early because everyone's getting after it for brunch on Sunday um, you know it can kind of depend but it's still definitely a nighttime place there's no doubt there's no doubt about that for me all right I've tiptoed around it long enough um, I want to talk about you have done something I think a lot of people dream about this right a lot of bartenders the the natural evolution. Um, if I want to look back at all the great memes that are out there are, you know, barback, bartender, rep, real estate agent, <laughs> and which is just, it's, it's true <laughs> to a matter of speaking, but you went the other dream, which I think is the one that is a lot harder to make tangible in somebody's life. And that is launching your own product. So I want to kind of do something a, a little different in this episode. I always start the episode, having the guest introduce themselves, introduce your, your baby, your gin. Tell Absolutely. Um, so, I, you know, we tiptoed around it. Uh, my baby is Slow Days Gin, uh, which we recently launched, uh, even though about two months ago as a recording, mm-hmm. but that's been in the works since I moved here. Uh, so it's, you know, actually very close to two years now that this, that this project has been taking shape in some way or another. And in a lot of ways, it actually has roots three, four plus years ago. My experience back in Boston was actually what drove this. Um, And I think it's interesting that you bring up the fact that it's actually pretty rare for it to end up going this route. And I I actually think I know the genesis of why that is for me personally. It's because during my time in Boston, I ended up working sales for a distillery. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I did do some supply side work, uh, learned a lot, got to represent some cool products, even had my hand in developing a couple you talked about pivoting when people pivoted to ready to drink cocktails during the, during the pandemic, I had a hand in formulating actually, you know, a really well-made old fashioned with rye because that was our, our chief spirit. Um, And also very cool. Me and the distiller put together, and this was when it, before it was really popular, a ready to drink espresso martini. Oh, nice. Working bottled and then shaken, working around the constraints we had. And what we actually did was we utilized maple syrup as the sweetener. And because of the high sugar content and texture, it actually allowed you to replicate the froth of an espresso martini oh, in a fun. bottled okay. product as close as possible. Nothing's yeah. going to, you know, beat a great co- craft cocktail bar as espresso martini. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, the Spro Loco was, was really undefeated. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So that, yeah. So that being able to do that was definitely a piece of it. But the real key during my time uh, working for that distillery was I would go into different retailers 
different bars, and I was just always in front of shelves, you know, with liquor bottles on them. Most of them, people never really touched. Some of them, people gravitate towards. Yeah. And it really got me engaged in the question of why people gravitate towards certain products, certain brands. And that has to do with the brand strategy aspect. And I really fell in love with that problem solving and that math around why is we as people really take to different things, you know, in different ways, depending on the person, you know, sometimes you just have a, you get put off by something, even just looking at a bottle on a shelf, or you find this incredible magnetism towards it and a range of whole different outcomes and what drives that and how do you foster that? So, I mean, it, it pretty much got to the point where I'm pretty sure I had more, you know, my, my old boss wouldn't love this, but I had more notes about, you know, different brand and product ideas that I was seeing based on, you know, my own thoughts of what people were moving towards. And then I had notes about sales, which is not, not something to brag about, <laughs> but it is, you know, definitely the truth. Um, so I think it was that once that pursuit of trying to understand, you know, what drove people's decision-making specifically in the context of my industry, which yeah. is, uh, you know, because of craft cocktail background, it is spirits, um, you know, what drove people or drives people to make those decisions. And I think it's the pursuit of, of that, not answer, because it's not, it's not something with a defined answer, but, you know, that, that problem to solve and work on is what I really fell in love with. Um, so I, I think that's why I ended up going that route. So obviously there's a lot to unpack from that, but there's a lot of really, really interesting and just from my two cents, really respectful things about that because I've had other brands on and this is not knocking them in any way, shape or form because I don't think that there's a perfect approach to launching a product, but there is a insane amount of analytical, you know, it can't just be passion of, hey, I love this type of spirit. I want my own expression because then I think you just end up with a celebrity tequila. But I think you, or I guess as of today with Lewis Hamilton, a non-alcoholic celebrity tequila, which is interesting, but that's a whole other podcast worth of talking about. But there's the formulaic way of understanding, hey, if I want to make something and I'm passionate to do it, how can I attract consumers to it? So this is obviously, like you said, been gestating for three, four years. And at the time of this recording, you've been on the market about two months. What's the process like of, because it's one thing to get a bunch of really large investors and a portfolio or be, you know, be backed by a major distributor or something like that. I mean, this is this is kind of the underdog story a little bit. This is, hey, I'm going to do it and I'm going to grind to do it. What was the process like from kind of developing that, um, and I mean this in a respectful way, that obsession with kind of all those notes and everything like that to finally getting to where you are now, which is having a bottled product in hand? Well, it's interesting. For starters, you know, it's it's one thing to lay out a brand and say, this is, you know, where I want to go with it for X, Y, Z reasons. Yeah. The the thought behind it, the science behind it. And then you get to the point where you have a product in hand, which is two months ago. And then you have to remember, oh, all the difficulties in execution. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really cool process to go through that in the beginning and understand the foundational principles and the product uh, that you're coming up with. And then it gets to market. And even before that, even as you're starting to do the more technical things leading up to launch, it really takes on a life of its own in the sense that, you know, everyone who's interacted with and been a part of this process has left a distinct fingerprint on it. You know, whether that be you know, my, one of my best friends who did all of the design work, still does all of our graphics. Um, 
Rescue which are awesome, by the way. I think you yes. crush it. Yeah, well, your, your he graphics, works. Your graphics, your marketing, your branding. I mean, yeah, yeah. it's it's he, all top notch. He works for a brand and visual design firm in NYC. So he's, great he's legit. Have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it, it worked out really well. I, there was never a question about who I was going to. But so obviously, you know, his, I mean, he is as big of a part of the brand as I am, for sure, in terms, mm-hmm. especially in terms of the consumer facing touch points, right? That's Quite that's really, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, from that into the distiller, uh, Matt up in New Alchemy in El Dorado Hills was phenomenal. Um, you know, it, it was not always going to be this product. You know, we went through a ton of iterations, which we can go into in detail later if you want, just kind of that process, because uh, it, it was a lot as a, you know, two years really yeah. worth of, of finalizing that. Um, even, whether it be, you know, just after launch, uh, working with Tom Gavin, he's a photographer up in LA. I got connected with him through, through actually one of Tar and my buddy's mutual friends. Um, he gave us this, this beautiful art direction and imagery to work with and really helped tie the brand together. And then now it's in the hands of, you know, relatively small community right now of mostly industry people in Laguna, uh, a little bit in Newport and Dana. And now it's also gets to kind of take on that that community and be developed by by them as well. Well, the, the craft bartending community, um, especially here in Orange County, is a very tight-knit one. Um, a lot of people who were incredibly, incredibly talented either moved on or moved playing uh, just to different cities and things like that kind of during the pandemic, um, you know, even as close as San Diego, but we lost a pretty good chunk. We still have a very, very tight-knit, very talented community. So it must help to be able to kind of basically start a group text for lack of a better description to be like, Hey, who wants to come taste on this? Yeah. And then it also doesn't hurt that it's a really tasty product. Um, so real quick, describe the actual gin itself, Absolutely. kind of the flavor profiles and what you get from it. Yes. So, uh, the gin is, well, right off the bat, people are going to notice it has this great ruby red color. Um, that is due to an infusion of hibiscus after distillation. That being said, it's not a flavored gin. It's foolproof. Uh, and it is, hibiscus just happens to be one of the components we use. It has a great floral flavor. It adds tannin, which mm-hmm. is a pretty unique uh, quality for a gin to have. Uh, and then it's also infused with a little bit of citrus. What's cool is that that's paired very intentionally with a distillation that includes two types of cinnamon and ginger for this really nice warming spice profile. It's very unique for a gin. And it wouldn't work in isolation. It needs that infusion. Yeah. The same way the infusion would come off as too potent if left alone with the typical gin profile. It yeah. also has juniper, has to, although ours has the legal minimum amount of juniper for a gin, as well as angelica and orris root. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of very common botanicals kind of just ground and anchor the profile. Uh, what's nice about this is that it, well, for starters, it's it's very unique. I don't know, you've tasted it. I don't think you've probably had many gins that taste like it. Um, it's very approachable because of that low level of juniper. It's not going to pop you in the face with dry botanicals the way a yeah. London dry style would. Uh, and then you get this really nice juicy hibiscus citrus and this great spice finish. Uh, and what's nice, especially, you know, in the, in the cocktail background is it's very easy to make a really, really good cocktail with. But if you really want to get technical and break it down, you can start to isolate some of those components and try to extract those flavors by pairing it with different shrubs, amaros, whatever it may be. But you can really, you know, you can key in on the spice distillation work with that specifically for a cocktail, or you can key in on that really unique hibiscus, fresh citrus juiciness that comes, you wouldn't really expect from a gin. You can really, you know, try to isolate that with whatever ingredients you're using. And that's why we've been very vocal, you know, so far, even if it's been a 
very, very small group that have tasted it, which is going to start to expand over the yeah. next few weeks, um, is we want people to experiment with it. Because they're, you know, I consider myself a pretty good bartender, but I have a specific style. I have a specific way of going about things. And, you know, there are so many other ways to approach cocktail creation. 100%. And I am excited to, you know, see what else people can do with what I think is a pretty novel product. Well, you mentioned that in the next couple of weeks, you really want to grow. And it was one of the reasons that I wanted to kind of do this podcast and, and kind of get ahead of some of that growth is, I mean, at the moment, it's just here in Orange County. Where are you at right now? Because I know you're, what, your high times for retail. So people can find it in retail. Yes. But at the time they're listening to this, it is on retail Absolutely. at high times up in Costa Mesa, mm-hmm. um, who oh. people should just support in general because they rock. But where else can people find it on bar programs? So it, well, at retail, also the Mixing Glass in Costa Mesa. Oh, yeah, 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 Laguna, that's right. Yep. Laguna Craft and Cork. Shout well. out to Gabby. People can go back and listen to her episode. Love her. That's right. Uh, I, I, oh, knew yeah. it, I knew it was somewhere else. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And Laguna Craft and Cork, which is in yep. South Laguna Beach, just to, you know, kind of cover the areas where we do have uh, some cocktail programs and things, just, just so we could point people in the right direction. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it's definitely not the focus right now. It's, it's really a community built around the, you know, the, the hospitality industry in this area. So the other spots, Hotel Lagunas, obviously was the first spot naturally. <laughs> yeah. That would have been um, an awkward one if it wasn't. <laughs> I, exactly, yeah, I know. Um, and so that's, that is definitely been kind of like, headquarters since it's, you know, the most prominent I'm often there. A lot of my friends work there. Um, same. It's also at, on the menu at a in crystal cove. I have a, you know, Paris, the bar manager there is phenomenal. She's yep. super helpful. Um, then I have a couple of my very close friends also work there, you know, just like, as I said, it's really about the community and, you know, they're super excited about it, which is awesome. They, you know, have a really fun bar, to say the least. Yeah, yeah. I, I was going to say I was there this weekend, and I drank a lot of your product. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, right. well, yeah, it can be fun. <laughs> and then um, ABBA in South Laguna, yep. which is one of my Killer favorites, spot. which I consider to be the spiritual headquarters of the brand. Even yeah. Though, yeah, that's like, that's our... That place vibes with the brand yeah. very, very well. And, you know, our, our group that... You know, so far, as I said, it's been a pretty tight circle that's going to start to grow now. That group's kind of like, that is our place. That's always been where where we go to. Uh, you know, the team there, Sam, the GM, Jet, the bar manager, Allie, the assistant bar manager, are all good friends of mine. Spend a lot of time with them outside of gin-related activities. Uh, they're they're super cool. And like you said, that, that place just being so mellow and so relaxing when you step foot in there is, you know, very similar to how we want yeah. to present slow days as a brand, right? Yeah. It's, you know, it's in the name. You're kind of supposed to feel relaxed and just, no, it you is, know. Yeah, it, it's one of my most favorite places in Orange County. It's, it, I, I adore that spot. And I 100% get why it is so synonymous spiritually mm-hmm. with the gin. You mentioned that in the next coming weeks, you want it to start to grow, but it's not like you're going to be, it, it doesn't sound like you want to take that approach of like big activations and things like this. You want it to be more organic and no pun intended, slow. But at the end of the day, it is becoming a business and therefore has to be a business and become viable. And obviously, you know, birthing this thing, you you want to see it get out into the world and and be a successful thing and, and find those people that are going to go find it and see that bottle that they normally wouldn't grab and then grab it. What's the approach like? I think it's, so it comes down to, to two main things. One is that, you know, in a business like this, where that takes on a lot of money, a lot of larger companies have a lot of access to capital, celebrity yep. endorsements, um, taking any sort of a top-down approach to this was never on the table. Um, you know, so it's about 
how do you solve and carve out a cool brand without access to those resources. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, for starters, it was never really an option, but it's also my preference that the market activations, the promotional models, all of that has no attraction to me. It's not really something I want to be engaged in. So I think it's the natural answer, both in terms of the resources I have access to, and also how I like to spend my time is to kind of foster a community of people who understand the product why it's cool, why, how it can be used, and also have a, a genuine connection to the brand and the, the community that engages with the brand. Uh, and I think, it's, I think it's there, and I think you can do it organically, albeit slowly. I think mm-hmm. that's part of it, and that's not a bad thing to me. Um, you know, Because we didn't take on a huge amount of money or anything, I'm not under any significant pressure to grow, grow, grow and, yeah. you know, at, at all costs. It, I, you know, it can be organic, and it's really about finding those pockets where the brand makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, I think that's really important for the reasons I've outlined. It's it's what I want to do. It's what makes me happy. And it also, I think, is actually a really good solution. It's it's the opposite of approach yeah. of what most brands who launch today. Which is something really, really nice. Because, again, no knock to any of the brands that I've had on the show in the past. I think other people have done it in very aggressive ways. Some people have launched products in kind of aggressive yet organic ways, if that kind of makes sense. Um, and anybody who knows my past guest, I think could differentiate who some of the people are. And again, whatever way gets your product out there, that's the way you're going to take and obviously, you know, wish you all the best, but there are very few people that are doing it this way, kind yeah. of the way you're doing it, which yeah. is really refreshing to see. It's just kind of, Hey, this is good. Come find out about it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really holistic, as I said, cause it is, you know, community-based, and it is supposed to be experiential. We've yeah. placed a lot of focus, you know, on the merchandise and the clothing side that we're, you know, launching and moving forward as well it, it, because it's, we're taking a really holistic approach to the business and the brand. You know, it's not sales at all costs, like I said, which so many, you know, people yeah, yeah, just yeah. try to push it out there and get it out there with all the best intentions, but what happens, well, and this financial is financial intensives that they have to hit, and all yeah. of a sudden it's like, oh my God, what if we don't do this? And they just... But then it sits, it gets, it gets pushed into places that for whatever reason, it just doesn't move. Yeah. Um, And that's something I actually had to deal with in my, my prior life as a rep in Boston. Um, You know, I I had to overcome a lot of places that had taken on our products and it, and for, you know, a variety of different reasons hadn't moved. Yeah. And that's a really difficult thing to deal with. And it's also not. It, it, it's not good for anyone. It can be good short term for the brand that's just trying to meet targets. Yeah. It's actually not, you, we want partners. Yeah, absolutely. We don't want people that we just funnel our product to. And I, I feel like that can get, a line gets blurred, especially a lot in, you know, a lot in this industry. Um, and that's not the idea. And that's, that's why we're not banging down every single door trying to just get placement, just get back bar. We want people who are genuinely engaged with slow days, you know, whether it be on the, on the brand side, at the consumer level, with the the product or the the brand as well, uh, at the purchasing level, uh, but I think that comes with being authentic to the core of the brand and taking it very slow. Yeah, again, no pun intended. But you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. There's it no is, way around yes, it. There's yeah, no way around it's, it. It's yeah. not an intentional pun. Um, we're going to start to wind down this main episode. I'm going to keep you around for a bonus episode because I do want to dive back in and I want to talk about all different iterations that you kind of went through until you found this product, et cetera. But the last thing I want to ask is a big thing in this industry is work-life balance. How are you 
handling that and how are you doing at that right now where you're now again it's not that gotta sell 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 but you are you mentioned that these next couple weeks are big i know that you know we talked about before we started recording you've got new merchandise coming in so that's handling all the back end for the website but you're still handling the bar and and crushing it down at hotel laguna too how are you finding time to balance and still be able to surf and enjoy everything that you moved here for (laughs) yeah for (laughs) sure um so I will say my, my role at hotel, um, is interesting because I am given a lot of creative freedom and input. I also have no responsibilities beyond just being a bartender though. Yeah. I don't have any man. I'm not a manager, uh, you know, which it's a great thing. It's actually perfect. I could not deal with any sort of any of that. And yeah. also think about this. It's actually, it's a really good social release. It's creative. I have a lot of friends that work there. Um, it has, you know, October's always kind of a lull. So, you know, the past few weeks, I've basically just been working you know, twice a week. So I can definitely have a good balance. You know, I, I get to uh, still, you know, spend my time there, but also really get to focus on this. And the other key piece is that this doesn't feel like work a lot of That's the time. Fair. There are yeah. elements of it that feel like work. There's the administrative side. There are things that it's like, no, I know you went out the night before, but you got to get up and do this. You know, there are times where you know, I'm pushed into things, which is good. It's good to have that pressure, but a lot of it, especially when it comes to uh, naturally the the sales, the social side, even just the, some of the more creative analytical sides of like, okay, how do we strategically address these problems? Yeah. I very much enjoy, like it's, I, I don't even, I get up and I make my coffee in the morning. I sit down and start doing that stuff because I enjoy that part. So that doesn't feel like work. So it, it really comes down to a relatively light schedule with kind of the best aspects of bartending at Hotel Laguna. Um, and not having to deal with some of the more difficult aspects of running a bar. And then, you know, the fact that for the most part, it doesn't feel, it definitely doesn't feel like I'm punching a clock coming to think about, (laughs) coming to think about gin every morning. Good. That's awesome, man. Well, like I said, we are going to wind down this main episode. Um, I will be, well, you'll be back for a bonus episode where people can find over on Patreon where we are going to talk about the gin even more. Um, as well as some other things, because I got a couple other questions percolating around in my mind. But in the meantime, if people want to find you or find the gin and learn more about it, whether it's social media, website, and we we mentioned the kind of local accounts for anybody uh, listening locally that can find it. But if people want to get more online information, where can people do that at? I mean, I would definitely recommend following us on Instagram. That's definitely where we're most active and, you know, try to present our product and our brand to the world. Uh, You can find us. It's going to be at Slow Days Gin Co., um, same for the website. If you want to get more information, a little bit more specifics, you want to see where, uh, where we're located. Cause that, you know, is constantly updated yeah. uh, with new placements as well as take a look at our awesome clothing and soft goods program. Yeah. I should definitely say, check out the merch. And again, by the time that this goes live, that merch should be in and hopefully on the website, but yeah, I've, yeah, I've that's, already, that's you've already shown me photos and that, that should be, yeah, that's, that's um, awesome. And that is slowdaysgen.co. Okay. Awesome, man. Well, I am super excited to watch the continued growth. I'm very, very selfishly. I'm glad that I'll still be able to find somebody um, or a friend that'll sling a great drink down at the hotel. But in the meantime, I'm very excited to watch the brand grow. I can't wait to start seeing it pop up at more bars around here and, and watching it not move as slowly. Thank you. Thank you, Jared, once again for taking the time. Thank you for tasting me on the gin. Thank you for showing me around to some spots who have it on cocktail menus. Shout out to the team at ABBA. I love that place so freaking much. If you go there, 
don't ruin it. Be nice. Abba's a special one, and I really, really love it. You'll love it, too. And if you don't, well, we got to sit down and have a conversation. Thank you to everybody that supports on Patreon each and every month. I could not do this without you. Again, there's a lot of new options coming there, so stay tuned for even more updates coming to that in the future. Be sure to check out the new show when that drops. I know what you did last Sunday. Thank you to my advertising partners. Thank you to everybody who does support on free feeds. Thank you to Ali Coyle, who makes this show sound so good while I'm sitting here rambling. Everybody, be safe. Tip your bartenders. Don't drink and drive, and I'll see you out there soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribe to the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. Serena Warino, George Pavlov, Eric Lutz, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk, Burrito No Rito, Sasha Lyons, Subtle Bubbles, Jay Baker, Tim Swine, Burger Master, It Ain't Easy Being Greasy, Boyga Kang. Thank you for your support.